then when we start, you know, kind of our sermons, you know, Happy New Year, by the way, as we start a new new year and as we get into things, we love to kind of explain how we do things along the way. Often, I will ask a question to kind of get our wheels turning. So the question for us this morning, which we're going to spend some time in, we're going to kind of do some background work to kind of get us caught up to where we are in Isaiah to make sure we're all on the same page. But our question this morning is, how do nations relate to God? How do nations relate to God? A lot of what we've talked about um, can be very much applied personally, but one of the things that Isaiah specifically deals with is nations as entities and how they relate to God. So there will be a heavy stream of that this morning. How are we to think about how nations relate to God? We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 28, so go ahead and flip there if you want to go to Isaiah 28. So we're picking up where we left off. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background, and then there's going to be a bunch of background in our in our actual sermon because... Um, you know, one of, the, one of the feedbacks we got, which I think is good feedback, Isaiah is confusing. Isaiah is just very confusing. It's, it's time and history is confusing. There's lots of moving uh, parts and dates. So, so today I want this to be, a, you know, a reorienting. We kind of get our brains wrapped around where we are historically, and that hopefully will help us as we think about, you know, as we look at the scriptures, they are, they are passages written in time that have timeless truth. So it often will help us to understand the history and the context. So just to set the stage, Isaiah was written in about 740 BC. 740 BC, which in the history of Israel was one of the most confusing times because there's a divided monarchy. There's a divided kingdom. There's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is referred to as Israel and it's often equated with the term Ephraim in the scripture, in, the, in Isaiah. So when you see those terms, that's talking about the northern kingdom. And then you have the southern kingdom, which is Judah, and the capital of Judah is Jerusalem. So that is where Isaiah is doing his ministry. And, and actually, specifically today, you can see that he is addressing the national leaders in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. So just a little bit of background, if you can throw up that, the, the first timeline, just to, I want you to have these little, little dates um, do you have it up there? Is the timeline up there? Um, here we go. So this gives you a little bit of orientation in, in overall history. Okay, you see, um, you know, David at, at 1,000. You have Rehoboam, which is where the kingdom divides right there at 931. Um, and then you have uh, Israel goes into captivity in 722. And so you can see we're about 20 years after the northern kingdom has gone into captivity. Go ahead and go on the next slide. Oh, oh, wait, that was both. You saw both. So you, you got the dates there. So they gave you a little bit of orientation, right? That the, king, the, the monarchy started with Saul, David, Solomon, which is going to be important for us. Let me pray for us. Now that we're oriented historically about when we are, and you can leave that up there for a while so that way people can, can uh, mull over those dates as we're talking. That's a, that's a, good, a good graphic there um, to give you just a little bit of uh, historical clarity on where we're at. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into our text this morning. Lord, we praise you that 2020, uh, 2020 is over and that 2021 is beginning. Lord, would you, would you meet us here this morning? Would you work on us today? Would you orient our beings, our hearts, our minds, um, orient us to 2021 and what you want to do? So Lord, work in us, meet with us. That's why we've come. Have your way in us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we're in Isaiah 28. We're going to start in verse 14. I'm just going to read two verses to start because, we, again, we have some, some more stage to set because, again, there's a lot, a lot of history and background here. So I'm trying to go slow. You can tell my pace even is slowed down. I want to make sure it's clear uh, where we are because I, I, I acknowledge that the, uh, the content of Isaiah can be a little confusing. So this is Isaiah 28, starting in verse 14. It says, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we have an arrangement or agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us. For we made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. We're going to pause right there. Okay, so what we have is we have this idea of covenant. Part of why this is a big deal that he says you've made a covenant with death, you've made a covenant with Sheol, why that's a problem is that this is God's covenant people. These are a people who are defined by their covenant, their partnership, their, their, relate, their relationship with Yahweh. So these people already have a covenant. They already have a, a covenant relationship with God, so they, they should not be entering into other covenants. So our main idea this morning is covenant. The main idea this morning is covenant, and we're going to look at three covenants and then kind of uh, Isaiah gives us in this text two illustrations of what this covenant relationship looks like and how this covenant relationship plays out. But we have covenant. So the, there's three covenants that we need to talk about. The first one's the old covenant. The second one is the new covenant. And then the third one is this covenant here, this covenant with death. Okay, so the old covenant. The old covenant really is summarized by, by three people. Okay, the Old Covenant is summarized by three people. Abraham, which we find in Genesis 12, the description of the Old Covenant. We see Moses, which we find description there in Exodus 19 through 40. And then we have David, and that is in 2 Samuel 7. So Abraham in Genesis 12, Moses in Exodus 19, David in 2 Samuel 7. Okay, so what's happening is God has, he has gone to humanity and he has joined himself. He has entered into agreement, which the Bible Project, by the way, has a fantastic video on covenant. Super helpful. They also have a, a one from Isaiah that we will try and post somewhere on our stuff. We're working on building a resource page so you can hop online and go and watch the sermons and click on some of these resources. But the Bible Project has a great summarization of what covenant means. And really, it's a partnership. God enters into these partnerships with humanity that have commitments with them. And so at this time in history, you have Israel who's in covenant relationship with Yahweh. He is asking them to obey him and to trust him. He's asking his people to obey and trust him. That is the old covenant. That is the situation that Israel finds themselves. Now, we want to make the point. We're talking partially about nations this morning. Israel is the only nation that God has a specific agreement and arrangement with. It's the only nation that God has a specific and agreement and relationship with biblically. That God has joined himself to this people in order that all peoples, all nations, every tribe, tongue, people, every person group, every people group, every nation would be blessed 
through the one nation. But there is a very specific relationship going on between Israel and God. They have a very specific covenant with him. That's the old covenant. Again, I want, I want to get some clarity. There's a lot of confusion in, in our time, in our country, about America and how America relates to God and how we fit into this equation. Israel is the only nation that has a specific arrangement with God specifically. All the other nations are underneath of him, and America is no different. I actually want to make sure I read this second part very clearly about how uh, nations, how we as a people in New Covenant, so you got the Old Covenant, which we talked about, right, where you have Abraham, you have Moses, and you have David. So those are summarizations of this arrangement that Israel is in in the time of Isaiah with God. The New Covenant comes in Christ. And I want to read this because I wanted to write this out and be very clear. The New Covenant is a covenant entered into with a specific, uh, not, excuse me, is not a covenant entered into with a specific nation. It is a covenant entered by faith and now engulfs the entire world. Every people, every nation can enter into this new kingdom by submitting to Jesus now by faith and following his ways of justice and equity. Old Testament Israel was a theocratic nation state that existed in history in a unique way that has now changed with the institution of the new covenant. God still has a plan for those who are Jewish, who believe in Jesus, but the new covenant is about faith in and submission to Jesus. There is no longer a nation, but all nations must submit to the kingship of Christ in how they are governed. They will be judged accordingly. Right? There's, there's only one promised people of God, that's, that's Israel, that God has used to now reach all peoples. So we got to be really careful as Americans how we speak about America. We are one nation amongst many who need to submit to Jesus and submit to his ways. We do not get special treatment because somehow we're Americans or we're the West or we were somehow founded on biblical principles or whatever. We, we don't get special treatment. We have to obey and, and submit to Jesus just like everyone else does, which Israel is in that same boat, by the way. So you have the old covenant you got the new covenant, and then let's get into our text. Again, all that's kind of background. Because one of the questions that's difficult as we go in Isaiah is, okay, so how does what was said to Isaiah apply to us today? Right? Because he's writing to a very specific context. Right? You have Assyria, this big world power, who's the looming threat over Israel right now, over Judah. So that's the historical setting. So that's, I want to be clear about that. There's this, this world power that is knocking on the door of Israel, like we've said, and we're talking about Judah specifically. And so they are worried about what's going to happen. That's why they are making a covenant with death. So I'm going to go ahead and read the whole text now that you kind of have been oriented. So covenant is what we're talking about. You got the old covenant, you got the new covenant, and now we're looking at this covenant of death that Judah is entering into in order to save their skin, to save their hide from oncoming Assyria. So I'm going to start at 14 and I'm going to finish out the chapter. So read along with me. This is Isaiah 28. Therefore, the, hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol, we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, that's a reference to Assyria, it will not come to us. For we have made lies our refuge, and in falsehood we have taken shelter. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, 
I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste, and I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning it will pass through, by day and by night, and it will be sheer terror to understand the message. For the bed is too short to stretch oneself on, and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. For the Lord will rise up as on Mount Perizim, as in the valley of Gibeon he will be roused to his deed. Strange is his deed, and to work his work, alien is his work. Now therefore, do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong, for I have heard a decree of destruction from the Lord God of hosts against the whole land. Give ear and hear my voice. Give attention and hear my speech. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Does he continually open and harrow his ground? When Has he leveled its surface? Does he not scatter dill, so cumin, and put in wheat in rows and barley in its proper place, and emmer as as the border? For he is rightly instructed. His God teaches him. Dill is not threshed with a threshing sledge, nor is a cartwheel rolled over cumin, but dill is beaten out with a stick and cumin with a rod. Does one crush grain for bread? No, he does not thresh it forever. When he drives his cartwheel over it with his horses, he does not crush it. This also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Okay. It seems a bit odd, some of it, but simple thing going on here. You have covenant relationship that God is addressing, and he gives two illustrations of that covenant relationship and how that plays out. The first is foundation, and the second is fields. So foundations and fields. He's saying, you already have a covenant with me. Why are you making an arrangement and a covenant with death? And what he's referring to here is the agreement that they're going to enter into or, or tempted to enter into with Egypt in chapter 30 where Egypt is basically saying, hey, we'll help you out against Assyria. Join forces with us. Maybe together we can keep this this whip from coming through and destroying you. And God's saying, that ain't going to work. You are covenanting and not trusting in me. You're trying to come up with your own backup plan. You're trying to come up with your own idea of how you can preserve your own skin and your own necks. When I've told you, you need to trust in me and you need to rest in me. Now, there's a way that we can hear this and we only apply this individually, but we need to remember this is, this is being given to a nation, to rulers, to an entire people. What does it look like for a nation to submit to the ways of the Lord? the ways of God. Every nation throughout all of history will be held to this standards. Did you obey and follow after God's ways? An interesting picture of this is Egypt under Joseph's leadership. 
right? So you go back to the Genesis narrative. At the end of the book of Genesis, there's a story of Joseph who's sold into slavery, who ends up becoming a ruler in Egypt and prospering the land there. He becomes an influential voice that something is happening in Egypt through the direction and the leadership of Joseph. So I don't think Egypt becomes a Christian nation at that point, but they are being a just, and they're following the ways of the Lord, and they're, they're being equitable, and they're being charitable, and, they're, and, they're, and they are treating other nations well. They are enacting the ways of God. So there's a submission to the ways of God underneath of the leadership of Joseph. So this country does well. God, God kind of preserves them. But what happens? That goes away, that leadership dissolves, and then they start behaving as many of the nations that in our current situation are behaving. They depart from the ways of God. They depart from the ways of justice, right? Go back to the beginning of 28. Look at verse 17. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. So it's this picture, uh, which he's starting to get into that first metaphor of foundation. But what God is saying is, is that all nations are subject to the authority and the power of God. And my question for us is, how much hope do we have in our political system? Now, here's the thing. I know that we're here in a church service and we know the answer to that should be, oh yeah, well, I don't have that much hope in it. And I just want to lovingly press on us to say, how much hope do we have in a political system, a political party, a vaccine, whatever the narrative is of the day, how much hope are we putting there? Right? Think about all the conspiracy theories that are out there and all the fear mongering that's happened. How much does that tap on your fear? What are you afraid of? What if America doesn't last? Right? What if there, there is an end in sight for this republic? What if that's the case? And, and, what, and what Yahweh wants to say, because they are sitting here and they're going like, Hey, um, hey God, I don't know if you noticed, but Assyria is this, this world power and, 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 like, and they've hacked our voting system. So what are we going to do? And Yahweh's saying, you do what you always have done. But you remember who I am. You trust in me. You don't have to lose sleep at night because, because you know where your refuge is. You know who the layer of the foundations is. The layer of the foundations is the Lord. So let's look at this picture, foundations and fields, these two metaphors, these two pictures. So he basically contrasts two refuges, one that has foundation and one that does not. Look at verse 16. Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion. I want you to put your finger on Zion, underline that. Zion's this really big popular term. You see it pop up all over the place. It's kind of cool. It's in the, you know, it's in the matrix and you know, it's all these you know, cool. Zion means the new Jerusalem, right? This is the new heavenly city that's coming. That's what we're awaiting. So when you hear Zion, the historical people of God would have had a close association of the, um, the end times Jerusalem is Zion, right? So that's what they're picturing in their mind. They think Jerusalem. So if Jerusalem falls in their estimation of things, then Zion has gone to ruin. And what Yahweh is saying is, listen, Zion is as sure as anything that has ever existed. It will not be moved because behold, he is the one who's laid a foundation in Zion. So before we dive into the foundation, I want you to look at what it says in verse 17. 
So he has this picture of this sure foundation, which we'll, we'll look at in a second. And he's contrasting that with this refuge of lies and water will overwhelm the shelter. So he's basically saying they've taken refuge in lies. Now, I don't know if you ever play games with kids, but I brought this, this little thing to help illustrate the point. So here's what, here's what Israel is doing with their agreement with Egypt. They want to feel better about the impending doom, and they don't like the message from Yahweh that says, you need to trust me. They go, we need to do something to feel better about what's coming. And so this is what Israel has done. They've taken their unicorn sheets. And you ever see them play this game? You play hide and seek with little kids? And they do this. They do this number. And they hide. And they go, you can't see me. I, I can't see you, so we're, I'm good. These mythical unicorns will protect me. I have magical powers when I'm under this sheet. Kids, you ever do this? You guys? I'm just pretending I can see you. I can't. Yeah? You guys ever do that? These are pretty cool sheets though, aren't they? Right? So I want that to be cemented into your mind because that, that's what God is saying is, is, is the, the way we see kids do that and they're going like, you can't see me. You're like, I'm staring right at you. Right? They're playing this game where he's saying, look, this, this refuge that you're going to have, hail is going to wipe this thing right out. Like one storm is going to blow through here and your little sheet that's over your head with the unicorns on it is just going to go, woof. And, he, and, he's, and he's, he's constant. this whole book is a message of Yahweh saying, why? Why do you have to play pretend when you have the sure foundations of the eternal Zion at your beck and call by my hand? Why pretend that you need help from Egypt? Are you serious? You have me, you have Yahweh, you have the powerful one at their disposal. He has enjoined himself to Israel. He's promised that they will endure and yet they constantly are seeking other means to find hope and rest. Is not this often our story, oh America? Right, where we where we, we know that Jesus is king. We know that we've been, been given these foundations, right from Hebrews tells us, right? These, these foundations who are built by God, these, the unshakable city, right? It's really a reference to this Isaiah text. And yet, every day that passes with every, every new story, every new vac virus and vaccine and uh, you know, voter fraud and all the different things, which hear me, I think everything I've said, like, there's truth in all of that stuff. But there is a truth that underlies all truth, and that is the truth that God is the layer of the foundation of an unshakable city that we have residence in as those who believe in Jesus, and we need not fear and get caught up in the everyday, day-to-day -day narratives and political squabblings of our neighbors. We can, in love and in charity and in service, lovingly say, and none of that will amount to much. We have a sure foundation. Look at verse 16. Just look at that. Behold, I am the one who's laid a foundation, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. And look at that, look at that little phrase he throws in there. Whoever believes will not 
be in haste. Interesting little phrase he throws in there. Right? That basically, the, the, the heart connected to Yahweh is not a hurried heart. It, it doesn't, when someone says, what if, what if, what if, but what happens if, but what happens? Have you heard the, what, but what if, but what happens if the, have you heard the, 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 the heart that's connected to Yahweh is not in haste? He goes, uh, yeah, my foundation was actually set hundreds of thousands of years ago. The one that I believe in has always been. He's not confused or worried about what's currently happening. And so my foundation is tested. It's precious. It's sure. The picture here, which is, again, the two, the two pictures he uses with foundation and fields are very specific. And, and what they're painting a picture of is intention. A lot of work done to set a cornerstone. Now, I don't know if you have uh, fooled around much in construction. If you live in Radford and you've ever done a renovation, you will resonate with some of what I'm about to say. Sometimes, while working on houses, especially in Radford, you will go to do a renovation, you will peel off the drywall, you will dig out a part of the foundation, and you will often hear these words coming from skilled contractors. Huh. So that's how they decided to do that. I wondered why there was a sag in the floor right there. I remember in one house in Pulaski, we were just going to, you know, open up this doorway because, you know, there was already an opening there and we're just going to, you know, just open it up. We don't need to put any structure because it's, it's not load bearing. Oh, it was. We opened up the wall and the whole floor is just sinking. A previous contractor had already opened it up for them without putting in any structure. And it just starts to collapse. And, and the name of that game is haste. Right? Where, where they're not spending the time to, to, to dig a proper foundation, right? A proper footing that goes to the proper depth at the right angle. They haven't gotten out the proper instrumentation to make sure that it's all plumb. The plumb line is righteousness, right? The line is justice, he says. Look at verse 17. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. The picture there is about a builder who has taken his time and has done it very intentionally. Nothing was just thrown together thinking, well, we got to get something up because there's a hailstorm coming. He's saying, oh, no, no, no. What, what we're building for, it is, it's going to last. It's a sure and beautiful foundation. I got to tell you, when you're doing construction and you've seen some of the wacky things that I've seen, and then you unearth a masterpiece of a foundation or a masterpiece of a structure where it's really well built, instead of going, huh, you go, man, look at this. This thing ain't going anywhere. This thing is solid as the day is long. God is our builder. He has laid a sure foundation. But then it goes to fields. Look to the second half. What's the interesting language about spices, dill, and cumin? What's he getting at here? Right? Look at verse 24. Does he who plows for sowing plow continually? Look, if you don't know anything about farming, like if you didn't know anything about farming, and you just see some dude like go out in the field, like you're just watching him for the first time, and you're going like, oh, yeah, what's he doing? And he takes this mechanism that has like a piece of metal probably on the, on the tip of the, of the plow, and he hooks up some big animal, 
and then starts trucking through the field, you're like, wait, what's he doing? He's like tearing up the field. What's going on? What is he doing? And, and, and if you were watching, and if you were with someone who knew what was going on, they'd say, just, just, just calm down. Just watch. Watch what he's doing. Because as Israel is watching, there's a, there's a language here that I love here in verse 21. Look at the second half of 21. It, it says, For the Lord will raise up on Mount Perizim in the valley of Gibeon. He will be roused to do his deed. Strange is his deed. This is talking about God. And to, to, to work his work, alien his work. This reminds me when I moved to Venezuela, we, we were, we, we were uh, doing a little potluck for the church. And so we had this little baking, it wasn't like a contest, but it was like, you're going to bring your baked goods. So we all kind of got together to make these cakes. So we had our cake recipes and they had their cake recipes. And so in Venezuela, I'm not sure how it works everywhere, but in the little town we were in, um, the, the kind of the equation was if you want something sweet for dessert, you just got to put in a, a ridiculous amount of sugar. So one of the things that they would do is they would use an entire two liter bottle of soda in their cake recipes. So they're like making their cakes, just dumping it. I mean, like there was this thing called uh, frescolita. It was this like super sugary, like, you know, uh, strawberry beverage. So they're pouring all this stuff in and you're watching and going like, okay, all right. Well, you know. So then we go to make our cakes and we're putting weird things in there to them, like, like eggs. And they're like, no, 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 this is, this is for dessert. You don't put eggs in dessert. And we're like, oh, ye of little faith. Just watch us work. Right? So we did our thing and they were like, this is so weird. Like, what are you guys doing? This is not how you make a dessert. But we, you know, my mom, she knew a thing or two, if any of you been to Radford Coffee Co. about how to make a cake, you know what I'm saying? Right? So she puts the cake up and she gets it all together and they're like, all right, we're skeptical because you don't put eggs in cake. But they show up and what do they find to their delight? is this light, airy, fluffy, glorious thing where they're like, huh, and you did that putting eggs in your cake? Strange are your deeds, right? So that, this is the picture we have here is when you don't know what you're watching and you're just watching someone dig a hole or you're watching a skilled farmer do his thing, it doesn't all make sense to you. But they're saying God is strange in how he operates because his ways are not your ways. They're bigger than your ways. Don't jump ship and run for the unicorn covering because you don't understand how this is going to play out. Don't divert from the plan. Don't divert from who God is because you don't understand how this works. This is the whole thing with the field. It's a whole language of, of both sowing and plowing and harvesting and threshing and baking. He has the whole process in here. And the whole point is that there's a specific way that you work the field. You plow in a specific way, but you don't plow continually. Right? Plowing is a traumatic thing to the earth. You're digging up, you're, you're heaving up the earth, but, but you don't just keep plowing for plowing's sake because the point isn't the plowing, is it? Plowing is a part of the process. Sowing is a part of the process. Then he moves down to threshing. You watch threshing, that another strange thing. You, you get like wheat and you put it on like this, this kind of, stone, and then often they'll take rods or other things, and they're like beating the wheat. They're like smashing it. 
And if you know what's going on, you're like, what are you doing? We just spent all this time harvesting. Why are you beating the snot out of the, out of the wheat? Well, it's because these guys know there's a thing called bread that you make. And then after you do that, then what do you do with that? You crush it, like, like on, a, on a mill, but not too much. You crush it to the right spot. There's this picture of purpose, intention, design. And what God is saying is don't jump ship in the middle of the process just because it's confusing, painful, foreign, strange to you. This is us, church, where we are in our current time. Don't divert from the purposes of King Jesus because you are confused about what's happening around you. I ask again, what is our hope in? How much hope do we have in a vaccine? I'm fine with going like, hey, I don't, uh, hear me, I, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm just saying like, yeah, it's a vaccine, you know, like, look at the numbers, it'll do what it does. That's good. We should take vaccines. It's fine. But my hope in like everything working out in this country is not on the vaccine. Finally, our hope has come. No, our hope has come in Jesus. Our hope has come in this sure foundation, this precious cornerstone, the thoughtful, purposeful, intentional ways of God that will not be thwarted, that will not be stopped. We do not run this world over waving the flag of America. We, we run the world over saying like, look, I love my country. I love living here. It's great. But my higher allegiance, my highest allegiance, my allegiance belongs to King Jesus. I will sing of that. I will herald that. I will die for that. King Jesus is my highest good, my most valued, precious thing, and everything else needs to be in subjection because God does not give special treatment to any one country other than the one that we've seen, Israel that he promised. He said, I have a special plan for these guys, but everyone else is submissive to the ways and the promises and the commitments that God has. And he's saying, submit yourselves to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is where hope and life and sureness is found. And he is saying it loud and clear to the rulers of Judah. So we find ourselves in this section in Isaiah where he is pressing on these rulers because we're going to hit chapter 39 here in a few weeks where, where we're going to see the, the, the turn of the narrative. Where they're listening, they're not listening. They're listening, they're not listening. And then we're going to see the fate of a people who don't listen. So listen, let's pray for our country. Jeremiah 29 says, hey, let's, let's seek the good of our city. So hear me, the, 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 the point of this sermon is not let America burn. We don't want that for any country. What we want is we want redemption. We want life. We want people to worship and delight in the living God who lays sure foundations. And we want to be a country that advances that. But if we cease to be that, our king is unmoved. Our king is alive and reigning and ruling and he will accomplish his purposes. And let's be a people who have a hope in an eternal king, not in whether America ceases or does not cease. That's a secondary concern to Yahweh, whose primary concern is the eternal well-being of all humanity that is ultimately found in the living King Jesus. So what do nations do? How do nations relate to God? They submit to him. They submit to his ways. 
They trust in Him. And those that historically do not find themselves on the wrong side of history. Right? Note France. Note England. Note Spain. Think about all the Christian countries over all the years and millennia where there are seasons where they oh, they sent a bunch of missionaries. They were doing great. Oh, then they got distracted. And then they ceased. Right? And where do we fall? Who knows? But we, as those who follow Yahweh, can go to sleep tonight rested, knowing that from eternity past, there's been a foundation laid. And you and I, if we believe upon Christ, Peter tells us, we are living stones laid upon that foundation. And we need not worry. We need not uh, run around in haste. Because we have life in Yahweh, in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you for the preciousness, the sureness of Jesus our King. Lord, as we look at the new covenant next week, as we see how this plays out, as we see the promise ahead for us in Zion, the the portrait that we will taste of, of of the future coming of the King and what He will establish on this world, we, 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 we pray that as we enter this year, 2021, that You, God, would help us to fix our eyes anew on You. That there would be a rest amongst the people of God that that actually is, is a little strange, right? Strange are his deeds. A little foreign, a little alien to those looking on. Why are you so at rest? How can you not be caught up in all the fear? Well, I've been given life that cannot perish from a king who cannot perish. I have a citizenship in heaven that, that cannot be taken away. It is sure and set as stone. Lord, help us to live, to vote, to speak, to tweet, to email, to do everything that we do with the sure foundation of Jesus Christ under us that would change the hurried nature by which we live. Help us, we pray. Empower us by your Spirit. You are too good to us. We pray this in the mighty and eternally securing name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.